spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. Crash landed. From comics to video games. From the cinematic universe to television. Stars in the industry. Something out there had discovered us. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. Your safe haven from pre-spring snowstorms. It's episode 205 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham, and seriously, what is going on? With Mother Nature, can somebody get Mother Nature the Snyder Cut so she'll relax and this will stop going on? I don't want to be digging out of snow in the middle of March, but just in case you are, maybe you're stuck inside, thank you so much for letting me entertain you this week. As a matter of fact, special guest this week is writer Elliot Rahal of so much great stuff, Ninjak vs. the Valiant Universe comic for Valiant doing some stuff with Vault Comics as well. So he was on the show a few years ago, decided to bring him back, talk about everything that he has going on. Plus, I mean, we've got a lot going on as well. Going to review the brand new show from ABC Deception. Going to have a spoiler-filled review of that and so much more. But up next, you know how we start things, talking comics. It's what we're reading next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is writer Brendan Fletcher, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Pull out the long box, the tablet, or the laptop, whatever you're reading on. It's time for what we're reading. And this is a book I've been looking forward to for a while now. It's Infidel Number 1 from Image Comics. And this is a name I am going to absolutely butcher, so I will apologize in advance. Pornsack Pinchote is the writer. Aaron Campbell on the art. Jose Valerubia is doing the colors. And Jeff Powell on the letters. Now, this follows an American Muslim woman named Aisha, who's married to an American man living in an American city, and a stepmom to his daughter, and living in a building where a tragic event took place. Now, you know I like to do these spoiler-free, so I'm going to try and do that as much as possible here. Now, she is having nightmares that she can't quite explain, and, and that's where it kind of gets interesting. And another interesting part about it is you know, her husband Tom's mother is a very interesting question mark in the story. As you're reading it, you're kind of sensing a theme throughout the book, right? And now, you might know, if you haven't read the solicits or any of the information on the web about this book yet, this is kind of, it's entities that feed off of xenophobia. That is a description from there. So, you kind of get where I'm going with this, and you really, as the book goes, start to feel the, tr- the tension throughout this book, especially when Aisha's outside of her building and around town. She actually has a friend that she talks to, too, and they meet up, and they talk about this sort of thing. And she has a ton of optimism. That's one of the things I really was really, I thought was really great about this book is that Aisha kind of doesn't let anything let her down, no matter what's going on around her. She's like, you know, we've got this. This is where we're supposed to be. Actually, her job is pretty cool, too. I won't spoil that because that was a nice surprise for me as well. But what she does for a living and why she has to live where she does makes perfect sense. But her husband's worried about her. I'm, you know, I'm married. I get that. I'd be worried about my wife too. Now something happens at the end of this book that I mean, wow, major implications, kind of an understatement, and it very much makes you want to pick up the next issue. I mean, you want to talk about a book that was great anyway but really hooks you at the end of the first issue, doesn't wait till a few issues in to do something like this. Pretty crazy stuff. And 
this one act has implications on so many other parts of the story, not just one. It's almost like the ultimate hook, and so many comics don't do this well enough, and Infidel really, really does. Absolutely amazing ending to a book that was really, really good and had a good story throughout. The cover art is just breathtaking. And I mean, the way the colors kind of accentuate accentuate the key moments in the story is really, really top-notch, especially when you're in the nightmare sequences. And I don't want to give away too much about the entities that are in this book. I want you to see for yourself. But, I mean, just really creepy, crazy stuff. I mean, it's kind of a, a different take on a haunted house story, and it's very hard to make haunted house stories unique. But this one really, really does. And this book does have a message, which I pretty much figured it would. But it's somewhat subtle, and it really takes a different angle on it as well. I'm very curious to see what you think about it. You know, tweet the show at DanaNerdy757 if you've read Infidel, and let me know what you think. This is a straight-up pull for me, man. I mean, I expected this book to be great. I was not let down at all, and it's one of those books that it's going to be at the top of the pile when I when I go to read issue two when it comes out because I cannot wait for this. Now, here's something I haven't talked about on the show before. It's Usagi Yojimbo, other than the animated series that's going to be coming. A new book out from Dark Horse. It's the hidden number one of seven, of course, if you were going in the lineage. This would be number 166. Of course, written and illustrated and all things great done by the great Stan Sakai. This book is in black and white. By the way, I wanted to mention that there are colors on the cover, but the rest of the book just inks, and that is one of the things that I really liked about it. Now, you don't even see Usagi until the middle of this book, which I think is very, very interesting. It kind of follows two riders that are being chased and entered into that city, and they're trying to avoid capture and are carrying something very, very important. Now, Usagi kind of comes in in the aftermath of the chase, the next morning and meets with the meets with the inspector and finds something odd about the town. Now, I will say that once the investigation begins, we find out not only who the riders were, but what they were carrying and trying to hide. And I got to tell you, this is not what I expected from this book at all. This is something that went much deeper and much more I I want to say true to life. But it deals with real-life things that actually occurred, but told in the context of this particular story. They don't come out and say exactly what this thing they were carrying was, but once you get the terminology, if you have to Google it, that's okay. Once you get who these riders were and what they represented, you'll know exactly what they were carrying and why they were being chased in the first place. I did not have expect this book to have that kind of an angle to it. Something I definitely do not want to spoil because it was a very interesting surprise to me. And it takes a very, it looks to tackle very interesting historical subject matter as the book goes forward. And me not being completely familiar with these stories from the past, maybe they are a little bit deeper than I, I even realize. But, you know, I, I kind of tend to, to, to put this on the same line as Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which also deals with plenty of, of serious subject matter. But this seems like it's more of a a, a fact-based kind of thing. I, I Maybe that's the wrong way of putting it, but it, it just seems like this is taking history and bringing it in to the book a little bit more than a Turtles series would do. And I'm not even saying that that's a bad thing, 
for a turtle series that maybe doesn't need to do that. But this this makes it very very interesting and unique for this story. And, and the art is exactly what you expect if you're a fan of of the past comics or, or any kind of inclination of Usagi before. You're not going to be disappointed about this at all. And it was just a fun story, and, it's, and it, again, had a very interesting ending. And because of the subject matter that is involved, I'm interested. I want to see where this is going to go and just how deep it's going to get and maybe even, you know, learn a little bit of something along the way. And that's something that comics should absolutely do at times. So this is another pull for me. I'm very glad that I was able to jump on board. If you haven't read a, a book of Usagi's before, this is one where you could jump in and not feel lost at all. You'll recognize the characters that you need to recognize and that's kind of where it ends there. Let's go to do for what we're reading this week. Up next, it's time for a little bit of sleight of hand for this week in Geek Tamment. Gonna have my spoiler-filled review of the season premiere, actually series premiere, of Deception from ABC is next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is artist Carl Kershaw, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Pick a card, any card, because this week it's our spoiler-filled review of the new ABC series Deception, which kind of reads like a who's who of behind-the-scenes people that we love, like Greg Berlanti and Martin Giro, and it's a very interesting show, and yes, there is magic involved here. It involves Cameron Black, who is an illusionist, who is played by Jack Cutmore Scott, who kind of gets involved in an FBI situation, and you know he's got a show called Deception, and it's a stage show, and he performs various illusions, just kind of like you would see from like a Chris Angel or something like that. But here's the deal, and and again, spoiler filled from here on out, I cannot possibly stress that enough because there's a huge spoiler in this show in that Jack Cutmore Scott is not only playing Cameron Black, but Jonathan Black as well. One of the mysteries of this show and, and everything behind the illusions is is that Cameron Black has a twin brother, Jonathan, and they kind of grew up with their father in magic, and that's how they make a lot of their most amazing illusions, is that it's a it's a body switch kind of thing. And I will say that one of the things about the show, whether you like this or not, it actually gets into how certain magic tricks are done and how certain things are performed. So if that kind of bugs you, then this show will bug you a little bit. But it's kind of neat to pull back the curtain a little bit. But after one of the shows, something happens and Jonathan Black picks up a woman and ends up there ends up being a car accident. And then there's a murder and they blame Jonathan for it. So he goes to prison and the whole first of all, the whole illusion is now blown out of the water. The whole media knows and Jonathan says that he didn't do it, and of course you kind of find out that, yeah, he didn't do it, he was set up through the course of everything that was going on, and, and everybody's kind of, life has kind of turned around, and ever since that's happened, now now the show's kind of off, so Cameron's dealing with that, and you come to find out that he thinks an illusionist was behind his brother's accident, and he, they were, and he was framed, and they're going to try and find out who did it. Now, I will say this. When I saw Stephanie Cornelisian, and I know I'm butchering her name, Stephanie, I apologize for that. Of course, you remember her right off the bat from Mr. Robot because she plays Joanna Wellick and did a fantastic job there. The second I saw her, I knew something was up because I knew that she would probably be a part of this. And you find out at the end of the episode that, yes, she is the one that was the illusionist that set everything up. But beyond that, I mean, th- there is that investigation but there also is the kind of procedural aspect 
where it almost seems like there's going to be a villain of the week because Cameron sees something on the news about a plane that supposedly exploded and realized, no, 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 that's a trick that I did. So he goes to help the FBI and Agent K. Daniels with her case against a, a, a cartel and, and, and a, cart, a guy that runs a cartel named Felix. And there's this whole ring. And I won't get involved in the, everything that goes on there. But so it's almost like a he has to kind of convince the FBI that he's worthy of being on this case because he thinks if he can help them solve this, it can help them him solve his brother's case and he can get his brother free. Now, not everybody welcomes Camera Black with open arms. I mean, some are fans of his, and then you have FBI agent Deacons, who is paid by Layla Robbins, who's not at all impressed and doesn't want him anywhere near the case. So they, they do follow that trope a little bit of the whole, you know, you don't belong here sort of thing, and maybe he doesn't, and certainly... They take the liberties of TV and movies where, you know, you in real life these situations wouldn't happen. But you can't focus on that. I, I know that that can be a criticism of some shows and some movies, but this is still entertainment. And at some point we need to realize that real life situations aren't always that interesting. Even reality TV is not based in reality most of the time. So, you know, you kind of have to take real life situations and throw them out the window. Now, there, there are some very cool illusions in this and some really interesting things that they do and of course camera black has his magic team you've got dinah clark you've got jordan kwan and you've got vinnie jones's character who i loved gunter gustafson who was just he's the prop guy kind of thing he's the guy that makes all the stuff that they use loved him in that role and he's always yelling and they're at each other's throats the team dynamic of the magic team I absolutely loved. I was all in for that. Now, as far as Cameron Black goes, I'll be honest, and this is not a criticism of Jack Cutmore Scott at all. You're either going to love this guy and think that he's great and charming and funny and want to be all in on everything he does, or this guy is going to annoy the hell out of you and you're going to hate this show. There's no one way or another on this. And I'll be honest, I'm in the former. I, 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 thought, he, I thought he was good. I liked it. I thought that he was, you know, a little bit prickish at times, but in a charming way is the best way that I could possibly describe it. And he's a character. There's no other way to get around it. And, you know, maybe he doesn't always treat his people well. You know, members of his magic team, they don't always get along. And he's part of that. And he supposedly, him and his brother supposedly did something to this character that is the illusionist that got the brother put in, pr in prison. But we don't quite know what that is yet. They don't pull the curtain back on that just yet. And, of course, you're not going to do that in the first episode. So overall, I thought it was a solid episode. I thought it was an interesting show. Did it blow me away? No. Were there parts of it that were kind of I that that I didn't really care for? Sure, but I thought it flowed very, very well. I, I liked the Kay Daniels character. I, I again liked the Cameron Black character. The only character that I really thought was kind of misused and out of place was was Amari Nolasco's character of Agent Mike Alvarez. Uh, they kind of made him the goofball fan type of, you're Cameron Black, and, you know, I'm kind of a big fan. Well, my kids are a big fan, and, and, st and stuff like that, where he kind of pretends like he's not starstruck a little bit. I, I, I kind of didn't really like him in that role because I, I, I thought he could have done more, and maybe he will. It is one episode, so I'm not going to... You know, I'm not going to criticize the show for what happened in one episode. So I'm sure, given what he can do, I'm sure that they will give him more to do. So I'm not completely worried about that. 
But that's really kind of one of my only criticisms. I thought the action was good. I thought the rest of the cast was charming. I thought the illusions were, were pretty neat. And certain, like the, the whole driving thing when it, when Cameron Black's driving with Felix and he gets found out and they're doing the whole, he's blindfolded and he's driving and Felix is telling him where to go. And then they reveal how they do that illusion. I thought that was really neat. And, you know, magic is one of those things that's fun because you're not really sure how it's done. But at the same time, pulling the curtain back on stuff like this isn't necessarily a bad thing. So if you're just if you're just someone who just feels like, I don't want to know how this is done, and and it's going to annoy me if I find out, you know, just kind of look away for a couple minutes, and you won't have to worry about it. But i got to tell you, one name that you might not know that's involved in this show is David Kwong. He's also the puzzle consultant on Blindspot, a show that you know I love. And he is the... Kind of the magic consultant is the best way that I could possibly put it. And he's kind of a constructor of things and and kind of a helping producer on the show. So he's creating a lot of these things, or at least involved in creating a lot of things that you see and the magic that's on the show. And I thought he did a fantastic job in not only creating the right illusions for the show and as much as he was involved in it, but also at the same time, I, I mean, just teaching this main character how to do these how to do these things or at least being a part of that and i mean without the magic what is this show right it's a procedural and maybe there's not a whole lot very interesting about it but just the way that everything is executed and the way that everything is put together by everybody involved i'm in on this again it didn't completely 100% blow me away but i love magic in general and i love the fact that they incorporate a little bit more into the show and give it a little bit more depth than just, hey, here's a magic trick kind of thing. And it, and it, it, I like it for the same reasons I liked the movie Now You See Me, or at least the first one anyway. I liked it for reasons like that because you get a little bit behind-the-scenes info, the cast is charming, and it has a story that can hook me and can get interesting over time. I don't think that they gave away too much in the first episode about the larger story, but I think you can wrap enough procedural stuff around it that if you have a quote-unquote villain of the week kind of philosophy, you do something like that, but always keep your eye on the main story as well. And develop these characters' relationships, too, between the FBI and the magic team. I think that will expand things as episodes go on. So that's my spoiler-filled review of Deception, the first premiere episode. I'm in on this. Let me know your thoughts on it as well. Up next, got some nerd news to tend to, so let's do it on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Audrey Esparza from Blind Spot on NBC, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Starting things off on a little bit of a somber note, but it is still time for nerd news. And I know that this is something I don't do very often, but I wanted to touch on something, and it's the passing of Stephen Hawking, of course, passed away this past week at the age of 76. Now, I am absolutely not going to sit here and try to make sense of, you know, all the work he did with black holes and relativity and and try to act like I understand a lot of it, or even any of it for that matter. What I want to talk about is the inspiration that was Stephen Hawking. I mean, just, just think about the fact that the guy was given just a few years to live when he was 22 after a rare disease. And I mean, it, it would be easy at that point to just kind of, you know, live out your life and pack it in and say, you know what, I, it's not worth it. I'm just going to do, I'm just going to take these last few years and just live out the rest of my life. Which, in a manner of speaking, I guess you could say Stephen Hawking did because he was doing what he loved and ended up living 
another 54 years. He never gave up on himself and the things that he loved. And look at the people that he inspired along the way. I mean, we need this in our lives. We need people like Stephen Hawking that are going to inspire the next generation of scientists or that Stephen Hawking is already inspired so that they can then inspire the next generation of science because we kind of take for granted that science is always there for us, right? That scientists are just going to keep popping up and having great theories and then kids are going to want to still be scientists and grow up to be that someday. But it seems like in the... I guess I don't want to use, the, I hate using the cliche fast paced world, but I, I really feel like in short attention span world, I guess is the best way to put it. In that world, it's almost like I kind of fear that science is going to be not everyone's first choice. And I that scares me a little bit because we need brilliant minds and we need them in science. So that's why someone like Stephen Hawking is so important and Neil deGrasse Tyson and, and before that, Carl Sagan, why these people were so important was because. They inspired future generations. And it's not that Stephen Hawking won't continue to do so posthumously. But at the same time, we need that. We need this. We need science to continue with brilliant minds like this. And we need people like Stephen Hawking that just will never give up no matter what the odds. I've always been inspired by Stephen Hawking. And, you know, I always strive to be smarter every day because of people like Stephen Hawking. I'm like, man, I wish I was that smart. And I try to be. And I I know I'll never reach the level of a Stephen Hawking, but I hope that my son growing up, I'm going to be teaching him a lot about science and, of course, about people like Stephen Hawking. And I hope that, I I mean, if my son became a scientist, I think that would be great. And I want him to be whatever he wants to be. But that's the whole point of this. Be what you want to be and never give up on that. And that is one lesson that Stephen Hawking taught us, science or no science. Now let's get on a little bit more nerd news here and, and brighten things up a little bit because we have a lot to look forward to. And one of them is Fantastic Beasts 2, The Crimes of Grindelwald, which is going to be coming out in November and looks like it's going to be set in Paris, so there's nothing wrong with that. And then you have a lot of returning characters. Of course, of course Newt Scamander is going to be back. You've got Lee Lestrange is going to be back. Ezra Miller's character will be back as well. And of course... My guy, Jacob, Dan Folger, is going to be back with Newt. And that's one of the things I think I'm looking forward to the most about this sequel. I know that makes me crazy, but just the way that those two characters play off of each other, Newt and Jacob, I I love those two. And, of course, Queenie's going to be back as well. We cannot forget about her. And so we're going to get a little bit more between Queenie and Jacob, I'm sure. But... I know the big news. You've got Jude Law as Albus Dumbledore, right? And it looks like, at least from the trailer anyway, again, hard to judge anything on one trailer, but it looks like he's going to fit the role so, so well. And, you know, the whole kind of, hey, you know that uh, if you know Newt, you know he doesn't follow orders very well. Well, we knew that already from Fantastic Beasts, the first one. It, yeah, I, I think that this is going to be very, it's going to be very witty. Just like the last one, it's going to be gorgeous. You see a lot of the and the magic and the scenery that's involved here. And I know that the concern here is about Johnny Depp and Grindelwald himself and how that's going to come off. In the short bit that we saw in the first movie, I think he did fine. But I think that this movie is going to be more everything that's going on around him and not necessarily having to do with him directly. I think the bulk of that is what that's going to be. So I'm not sure you want to be too worried about this. I just think you got to have fun with it. I think it's an interesting story. I think it's. A, I think the first one 
showed that they have something here anyway. And I was never really a huge Harry Potter fan anyway, but Fantastic Beasts is a movie that grabbed me. And I really, really enjoyed it. So it makes me not only want to dive into this, but I'm going to give the Harry Potter books and movies a second chance as well because, hey, maybe I gave up on them too soon. I know maybe it's a generational thing. I'm a little bit older. I'm not carrying a cane or anything. I'm not that old, but come on. You know, maybe I'm just not of the generation that, that got into Harry Potter. But at the same time, maybe I gave up on it too soon. Maybe I'm going to have to go back and check that out and see what happens. And then, of course, we have just a teaser that dropped this week of Shadow of the Tomb Raider. Of course, the new game is going to be out on September the 14th. On It looks like on all platforms, by the way. It doesn't look like there's any timed exclusives or anything like that. We'll find out more information on that, apparently, on April the 27th. Now, we do see a lot of jungle, a lot of running, a lot of action, and a lot of temples. So... It almost looks like it's got a ancient Aztecs type of feel to it, or Mayans. So could this be, you know, something that's set in South America um, or Mexico or Latin America? It looks like that's the kind of vibe they're going for. Again, way, way, way too early to tell. But I mean, how can you not be excited about a new Tomb Raider game being announced the same week as the Tomb Raider movie? By the way, my spoiler-filled review of the Tomb Raider movie with Alicia Vikander is going to be coming up on next week's show. Here's something very interesting that dropped this week. Fathom Events. You know, they do these cool theatrical events every now and then, and this is definitely going to be one of them. Going to be bringing The Walking Dead and the Fear of the Walking Dead crossover to theaters. Now, this is going to happen on April the 15th in select theaters. You can go to fathomevents.com to find out which ones are going to be involved. So, and I think it starts at 8.30 Eastern, so again, check your time zones there. Now, this is going to be commercial-free, and it is, a, it is going to combine the Season 8 finale of The Walking Dead with the Fear of the Walking Dead Season 4 premiere. Now, I know what you're going to say. You know, why would you pay for something that you can see on TV for free? Yada, yada. Look, say what you want, but The Walking Dead, much like Game of Thrones, has clearly figured out how to market their product. They know that fans are going to be chomping at their zombie bits to go see this in theaters. Why wouldn't you? And don't give me the whole argument, well, it's not formatted for the big screen. Who cares? It's a way to gather with other Walking Dead fans, see something that you would normally get to see on the big screen, on the big screen, which you're you're not paying to see something in a theater that you can watch on television. You're paying for the experience of being with other fans and getting to watch that in the theater at the same time. That's why we go to the theater in the first place. And I mean, there are some people that will wait for movies to come out on Blu-ray and stuff like that. And I know that things look really, really good at home, but at the same time, it's going to look really good on the screen as well and being able to gather with other Walking Dead fans and kind of making a party out of the whole thing. Why not? And then you get to see Morgan's transition from show to show on the big screen, and why wouldn't you want to do that? It just sounds like a pretty cool deal to me. FathomEvents.com if you want to find out more about that. I actually kind of wish stuff like this would happen a little bit more often. I'd love to gather with fans and watch, you know, like the big DC Comics TV crossovers and stuff like that and certain premieres. I don't think you do that for everything, but certain select things, I think this would be really, really cool. Let's do a little bit of comic book review news roundup here because it wasn't a huge news week, but for comics, there was some stuff. At South by Southwest not too long ago, Jim Lee actually hinted at a Lois Lane comic that might be coming. He didn't dance around it either. He just said they have big plans for Lois and kind of name-dropped Brian Michael Bendis saying that, you know, he's got a lot of great ideas. And, I mean, why not? We've already got that show Metropolis. It's going to be coming to the DC streaming service. That's going to be focused heavily 
on Lois Lane, and it's not like Lois Lane isn't an interesting enough character and can't carry a story on her own without uh, can't without Smallville there. So, I, I mean, why not? And and another strong woman from DC Comics that can't hurt either. So just build up something, and it doesn't have to be an ongoing. It can be a limited series. There's a lot of great limited series that DC Comics has been doing. So just do that, and then if it's successful, like the Raven limited series was, you bring it back for a second go round. And you see what happens there. Speaking of limited series, one was just announced this past week as well with Gail Simone and Adriana Mello teaming up for a Plastic Man limited series in June. And did I call this? Did I not say that I wanted this when I was reviewing the Terrifics on the show a couple weeks ago from DC Comics? I was so just taken by every panel the Plastic Man was in and the vibe that was created there. And now, I'm not saying that DC Comics just listened to me and decided to do this. Obviously, this has been planned for a while. And obviously, they saw the same thing that I did. They're like, hey, Plastic Man, why aren't we doing that? Seems like a fun guy. The whole elongated man thing's going well on The Flash on TV. I think that this is something that could work out. And so, yeah, I'm ready to read the hell out of this in June when it comes out. So, And the fact that Gail Simone's attached to it, I'm even more in. And it's good to see her writing some great stuff for DC again. Hopefully, this is not it for her. DC Comics is going to continue with some news now. There was a lot of it from them this week. Actually going to let retailers sell Action Comics 1000 at a midnight release on midnight on Tuesday. So you can get it early if if your store is participating. And if you're a retailer, you absolutely should be doing that. Here's the kicker that I love about this is that DC could easily say, you know what? You know, we're only going to let you get Action Comics number 1000 if you want to pick up any DC books from that week. You're going to have to do it on, you know, when the store opens back up on Wednesday. No, no, no. They're smart. They're saying if you want any of the new DC books that are coming out that week, go ahead and get those as well. So very, very smart on DC's part. So, you know, if you've got a DC heavy pull, you can go up there and pick up your pull and get all your DC books a little bit early at midnight and then, you know, maybe binge read throughout the night. Hey, I'm not saying that you have to call in sick for work the next day, but it's a suggestion. Here's a little something from our buddy Zach Kaplan. It's going to be coming out from Aftershock Comics, so kind of stepping away from Top Cow to do something with Aftershock. It's going to be coming out in June called Lost City Explorer. It's going to be teaming up with Alvaro Saresca, and it's basically a story about how Atlantis was found underneath New York City while a group of kids were actually exploring, looking out, and looking for the parent who is a professor of antiquities of a daughter. So it's a daughter and her friends looking for the missing parent, the missing professor, and that's how they kind of stumble upon this. Now, of course, there's way, way more to it than that. It's not going to be that simple, and I'm sure there's going to be bumps in the road along the way. But I think this is an interesting story, and Zach was actually saying this is kind of his love letter to Goonies and Stranger Things, and I think if I want anybody doing something like that right now, it's a guy like Zach Kaplan, so can't wait for another story and a very different story, I think, from Zach as well. So I can't wait to see him dive in on that. We might have to have him chat, come back and chat about that coming up in June as well. That's going to do it for Nerd News this week. Up next, Not Done Talking Comics. Going to bring in Elliot Rahal, who's writing some great stuff for Valiant and Vault Comics as well. I'll talk to him about that and more next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Warren Simon, the editor-in-chief of Valiant Comics, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. So here's a guy we haven't talked to in a while, and I mean, it's kind of good because now we've got so much to talk to him about. A name you'll remember from his episode of The Paybacks that was he was on with Don Cates not too long ago. It's writer Elliot Rahal. Elliot, what's up, buddy? Hey, how's it going, James? How are you? 
Good, man. I mean, hey, it's been a while, like I said, since we talked, and you've started to do a lot of stuff with Valiant now. So what's it been like to kind of work with so many great characters? Uh, it's been pretty cool. Um, it's definitely a new challenge in my career, um, you know, and one that I'm, I'm ready to accept. You know, I mean, I, I, I've been, you know, I have been doing a lot of creative. You know, I started by doing creative own stuff. You know, I started by doing my own stuff, you know, and that's a lot of fun. And it's just a, a different dynamic. And, you know, there's already a built-in fan base, which is kind of intimidating. But, you know, um uh, it's it's cool. It's really cool. I'm really enjoying it. And I'm, a, I'm a big fan of a lot of the Valiant characters. I I read the Valiant books and not just because I work there. So it's it's pretty cool. Yeah, that's always a good sign. As a matter of fact, you've got Ninjak versus the Valiant Universe going on right now, which is a web series that I think I and a lot of fans have been looking forward to since it was first announced. So let's talk about the comics first, though. You've obviously worked with other writers before, of course, I said with Don Cates. And now, how closely did you work with Aaron Shonick and everyone involved in the web series and putting this thing together? Not very. This was an editorial project and an adaptation. So I didn't work with the, the writers or creators of the project specifically. I worked through editorial and editorial was like, you know, they worked through editorial because editorial wanted to like, specifically present this because uh some things within the movie uh or the web series like just you know they wanted to make sure it was nice and good for like their fans because some of the mechanics are really cool but like they're a little too big uh for comics so that we, we had to change a few things around in terms of action but in terms of like content and what's going on you know i we we keep as close as possible it's a really fun series I watched it. Um, I read it. Um, I read the original breakdowns. I read the original scripts, saw the raw footage, saw the finished footage. It's pretty fucking rad. Uh, a lot of cool people getting super killed, and I fucking dig it, you know? Cool people getting super killed is always great. That's, 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 like, that's the headline you're never going to see on those TV ads. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah I, think that that's, I think that that hits the nail right on the head, hopefully, for those who haven't seen it. Now... I know the focus is on Ninjak here, Elliot, but there's something I have to know. I know comedy's your thing, man, so how did you manage to make Bloodshot funny? I mean, the thing is, is that, like, Ninjak versus the Valiant Universe, like, the show is essentially, like, diehard, you know what I mean? Nice, like, nice. It's like, a, like, you know, fucking everyone's trying to kill Ninjak, what a day, and, like, <laughs> I love stories like that, you know, and, like, it's fun, and it's loud and like, you know, it's like a Shane Black script or, or, or something like that. And so, you know, I wanted to take that attitude and 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 put it into the uh, into the comic book and into the comic book series. And like Bloodshot, I think, is a really easy character to make funny because like if you ratchet him up, he's fucking ridiculous. Yes. Like like Lemire writes him great. Like Lemire writes him as like this tortured kind of guy who's just like, he's like Rambo, like Lemire writes him like, it, like Rambo trying to go clean, you know? And like, that's really good. And I really love what he's doing with him. And I'm really bummed I couldn't make it to my store today to get that black issue. But um, yeah, when we, we, the, the web series, we ratcheted up and I wanted to do the same thing in the, in the book. So I just fucking made him crazy, dude. He's crazy. You did that. You absolutely did that. You, but I like that though. I like that you've got the Lemire bloodshot, and then you've got yours, which is completely different. And I kind of like that they gave you the freedom to be able to do that in this. 
Dude, I would love, I mean, Bloodshot's already a Max series, but if Valiant ever did, like, a Max thing, goddamn, I would fucking love to do, like, Blood Bloodshot Max, you know what I mean? I mean, Bloodshot's already Max, but to make him more Max would be really fun. Totally, yeah, I, th- I think that that would be awesome. Hopefully you get a chance to do that. Now, for anyone who isn't familiar with the Valiant Universe, first of all, shame on you guys if you're not, but second of all, talk about just how much of a big deal the book of the Geomancer is because I read a lot of Valiant, so I know, but I mean, this is kind of a big deal, right? Yeah, it's it's a it's like a whole, it's like the, the greatest MacGuffin of the Valiant universe. It's like the suitcase of the Valiant universe from Pulp Fiction, you know what I mean? It's the fucking, you know, it's all powerful and like also super big. So you're going to just drop some epic spoilers for us right now about the web series, right? I mean, just, just going to let it all hang out? No, man, I can't. I wish I could. <laughs> uh, I can't do that, dude. But I'll say this. Fucking Michael Rowe follows me on Twitter now, and that's super. Ah, uh, see. Yeah, dude. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to Hollywood, and I'm going to ask him to be my friend. You've made, you've made it now. Let me know how that works out. Because yeah, I'm I don't think it's going to work out very well. But I, might, yeah. I might want in on that, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. yeah well, well, if, well, if I get a chance to chat with him, I'll, you know, I'll put in a good word. Yeah, for sure, man. I appreciate- <laughs> now, I think one of the things I'm most excited about, man, is the fact that you're getting a chance to write Quantum and Woody during Harbinger Wars 2. I think that is so perfect for you and in your wheelhouse. Do you feel the same way? Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, I do. I mean, like... I am. I like Quantum and Woody a lot. Like I've been, I've been reading the Valiant books since they launched in 2012 because like it was like an easy jump on point, and so I've been keeping pretty current with them. I loved James Asmus's run. I thought it was really fun, and I thought it was really funny. And then when I heard Daniel was doing uh, the stories, uh, I get super excited because Daniel and I are friends, and we wrote a book together, and. He was just really cool, so I was really excited to read that. And then when I found out that they wanted me to do it, um, you know, I was super stoked. It's obviously uh, a little bit more intimidating. It's it's a little bit more intimidating than Ninjak versus the Valiant Universe because Ninjak versus isn't continuity, uh, and and we're doing Quantum and Woody, and that's continuity. So it's like um, a little bit more uh, of an intense, rigorous process, you know. Um, and and but that's been very cool to experience um and and like it's it's really challenging me to make something that i think the that valiant fans will really dig you know that's the goal and um you know i'm really excited to see what people think about it well you know we've got the quantum and woody woody tv series coming up at some point too and to me i think like joel McHale has to play woody yeah i I think that that one just works out pretty well and i'm thinking you know db db woodside from lucifer i'm thinking he could play quantum and we're good D.B. Lucent from Quantum. Yeah, I get it. I, I get the D.B. Lucent thing, but man, Joe McHale, no, dude. We got no? You don't think so? No, I think you're right. You are right, but I'm just tired of him. You know what I okay, mean? Okay, that's, okay, that's at least, okay, at least we're on the same wavelength there. Though. Yeah, you are right. You are for sure right, but it's like, come on, we already, like, he would just be doing what he did in, in, in community, you know? I mean, I was going to say everything. Yeah, Basically, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want somebody to do, you know, a thing. You know what I mean? Totally. Yeah. I mean, hey, if you, I'm open to suggestions. I got none, dude. I I got none. <laughs> I'm gonna hit you up on Twitter uh, in a week. Oh boy, from This Is Us, fucking Kevin Pearson from This Is Us. Oh, really? Okay. All right. Do, do All it. right. But he's gotta like lose some mass. He's gotta get real fucking. Just stop going to the gym, you know, like me. <laughs> 
Now, speaking of your book, though, from the solicitations, it kind of feels like this book is going to be a real kind of race against time and the early going. So would you describe it that way as well? Yeah, I mean, issue six is, um, so, you know, the Harbinger War stuff is like uh, uh, Livewire. It's a big event, um, and Livewire essentially makes all of the power in the in the Valiant Universe go out. So it's like big blackout on Earth, and, like, uh, the quantum bands um, aren't functional, you know. And so that, you know, and, and, and Quantum and Woody occupy such a weird part of the Valiant Universe. Like, they're not really tied in with any of the science stuff, any of the, the Harbinger stuff. Um, and they're not tied in really that much, um, or not at all really with any of the unity stuff. So they're kind of on their own. Like they hang out with Archer and Armstrong, like one time, Yeah, but they can't, they kind of hang out on their own. And you all know, actually they were hanging out in Armstrong and the vault of spirits. They do hang out there, but like the point is, is that they're, they are kind of on their own in the Valiant universe. So I'm kind of writing them from that kind of angle. Um, like when, when all this big stuff happens and, and, and like really putting them on the ground floor, you know, like a, like a, like a daredevil issue or something like that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, like that's a cool just, angle to take. I like that. Yeah, yeah. 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 Just like that kind of grittiness to it. And, um, it's basically the issues towering Inferno. Have you ever seen the movie towering Inferno? Oh yeah. I mean, it's been a while, but yeah, I've seen it. Yeah, for sure. It's just that. Nice. I mean, do, do you feel like this is kind of a prove-it chance for them, though? Like you said, them being outside of everything, and now you're suddenly you're shoved into probably what's going to be the biggest arc for Valiant in a couple of years now. Do you feel like this is – you're kind of giving them the chance to kind of push them out into the forefront a little bit more? Yeah, I love how you put a lot of pressure on me just there. So that's... <laughs> well, I mean, if I didn't think I'm you would do over, it, you know? I'm already thinking that all the time, so thank you so much. Uh, <laughs> God damn it, dude. So – you know, it's not about making them bigger or anything like that. That's not the approach I want to take. You know, the approach I want to take is just telling um, the best story I can tell with them. Like, you know, tell my version of the best story. Like, really, you know, focus on the characters. Like, I, I mean, they're great characters. Like, Quantum and Woody are really cool characters. They're brothers, they're fuck-ups, they're, like, they both have some, like, emotional issues that they need to work through. They're very real. They're very human people. And, you know, I'm going to keep to the the spirit of of Quantum and Woody being funny. Like, I can can do that, but, like, I'm going to ratchet down some of the zaniness um, that we've seen throughout the entire existence of it. And I, I really want to to hone in on something inside of the Eric and, and Woody. That's going to be a really cool thing to see. Can't wait for that. Now, it's, the pressure's still on you, man, because, I mean, we're going to switch gears now and talk about Vault Comics. Now, I know they haven't been around for too long, but they're really putting out some great stuff early on, including your cult classics that, that just came out not too long ago. So for, yeah. for anyone who doesn't know, talk a little bit about that book and, What's it kind of like to be a part of the first shared universe that they're doing? Talk about pressure. Well, I just wanted to say that uh, working with Vault has been um, really cool. It's been very exciting. You know, it's like we're doing something, you know, it's like it's something it feels like I'm a part of something. You know what I mean? And that's um, always a cool feeling, you know, and Adrian Wassel and Damian Wassel and Tim Daniel and Kim McLean 
um, and all the other in, people involved in involved are are really good people and they're really excited and they're passionate and they're driven and like I'm 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 into it you know so that's me plugging my company real quick hint hint wink wink um, please do they deserve it it's cool man like they do really cool work they make really really pretty books they really take they really like do that nice matte paper that Valiant does and I love the way those books look they, I think they look special to read with the with the cult classic stuff you know we built that together like you know i mean i i i, I pitched an idea and they, they picked it up and then i pitched another idea and they're like that's great and i'm like what if they're a shared universe and they're like what if we did like a license kind of thing where we invite other creators to share in the universe and i was like let's fucking do that <laughs> now we're here and we're trying it out and like there are going to be some bumps along the road, but like we're here, man, and it's cool, and I think it's going well because um, the book seems to be well received, and so like that's a good first step to making this all work. That's an excellent first step, and can't wait to see more of that. Now, I mean, you've talked a lot about you know watching movies down the basement when you were a kid, and it's funny because I used to do the exact same kind of stuff, so we're kind of in the same wheelhouse there, but I was just kind of wondering, what are a couple of the cult classics that are always like your go-tos? Return of the Living Dead is probably like my number one like cult classic. Like, if you're talking like, there's like the difference between like cult classic and like vintage sci-fi, you know what I mean? Oh, like, totally, like, yeah. For sure, Return of the Living Dead, Creep Show. Although I did rewatch Creep Show, and I was like, "Oh, this isn't as good as I thought it was," because uh, I watched it with my 17-year-old brother. I got him to watch it for the first time, and I was like, "This is great, right?" And he's like, "I don't know, dude. This isn't the best." And uh, and I watched it. And I was like, "Oh, I get it. Uh, I get yeah. why you like this." But I still really like it. I watched Crawl for the first time as an adult a couple years ago. Fucking movie that is. And I went, "Oh God." Yeah, yeah, because yeah. <laughs> as a kid, I'm like, oh, this is great. You watch this and don't you're like, oh, what, what, what was I thinking? Why? Yeah, I know, I know. Night of the Creeps is one. You know, a lot of the Romero stuff. I could go on and on. I mean, I love Rocky Horror Picture Show so hard. Uh, you know, I watched. You know, I mean, I used to go to all the midnight shows and stuff like that. I fucking, I mean, I used to go to the Music Box Theater in Chicago. Like, I mean, the Omega Man. I love the Omega Man. Was one of my first like movies. You know, I just remember loving it and loving Charlton Heston in that movie and thinking it was so cool. Um, and then, uh, you know, I I went to school for writing because I like that's the same year I watched army of darkness. And that's also the same year I read Garth Ennis's Punisher. You know what I mean? Like, uh, so I just love that stuff. All right, Elliot, before I let you go, man, I have to ask about the paybacks cause I still love it. And I know it's been a while, but it seems like the books kind of found new life. I think there was some news about it recently. So is there any chance at all? that we could see any new payback stories, and could we finally see the boiler at some point? Oh, man, I would love to do the boiler. <laughs> I can't let it go. Well, you know, I mean, no, neither can I. Um, I try to think of a way to put, if I ever have the opportunity to write, like, X-Men or, or a shitty Batman villain, <laughs> I'm going to put the boiler in there for sure. You know, I'm going to, he's going to be my kite man. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I mean, Johnny and I, you know, we talk about it like 
But it's not going to happen. You're like we're going to collect it at Dark Horse. One nice big hardcover is going to feel pretty good, and and we're we're going to be able to release it all together as one. And and that's that's you know that's nice. It's going to feel nice just to have that happen. And I think that's the best we can ask for. I mean, Marvel. I mean, Donnie's exclusive at Marvel. I um, I have some other stuff coming up that I'm busy with, and and all the. Quantum and Woody and, and Vault stuff um, is also keeping me busy too. Uh, so it's it's fine, you know. We're good, man. There you go, man. Now this guy's got a lot going on. I mean, Ninjak versus the Valiant Universe. First three issues available now. Issue four going to be out on April the eighteenth. Quantum and Woody, which is going to be part of Harbinger Wars two, going to be available on May the thirtieth. And Cult Classic: Return of to the Whisper is available now at your local comic book shops. And digital retailers. So good to catch up with this guy again. Elliot Ray Hall, thanks so much for hanging out, man. Thanks, James. It was good to hear from you. So good catching up once again with Elliot Ray Hall about all the great stuff that he's got going on. I mean, it's been a couple of years at least since we talked about paybacks with him and Don Cates and the stuff that Elliot is doing with Valiant. I don't know if you read Divinity 3 Escape from Gulag 396, but man, it was probably one of the best one-shots of that arc, at least, if not one of the best Archer and Armstrong stories I've ever read. Because, and Ellie just has this way where he does great comedy stuff, but he can stretch to do other great things too. And what he's doing with Ninjak versus the Valiant Universe is so good. And I can't wait, seriously can't wait to see what he's going to do with Quantum of Woody in May. So make sure you're pre-ordering his books. Put him in your pull box because if you don't know the name Elliot Ray Hall yet... You are going to big time, whether it's through Valiant, Vault, or another publisher. The guy just does good work, and hopefully you'll check it out. It's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Again, thanks to my buddy Elliot Ray Hall for coming on the show this week. If you want more information, maybe listen to Elliot and Donnie's episode from the Paybacks. Go to downandnerdypodcast.com. That was a real fun interview. You can find past episodes there. Also, hey, find us on social media, facebook.com slash downandnerdy. We're also at downandnerdy757 on Twitter and on Instagram as well. Remember one thing, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds.